0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want to check out more about Team Rhino Outdoors, check out our website, teamrhinooutdoors.com. Once again, two co-hosts tonight, Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to know more about Musky Mayhem Tackle, check out muskymayhemtackle.com. We have a guest tonight. His name is Mike Wolfel. He'll be on shortly. And he fishes mostly in West Virginia, and we're going to just kind of have a general conversation about fishing. If you're into river fishing, you want to know a little bit about stocking history on various places, we're going to be hitting all those those uh, topics. So, Brad, Carrie, how are you guys doing tonight?
1: Doing great, ma'am. Good.
0: It's always good to have Carrie on a podcast. It's so exciting.
1: It's always been kind of a struggle, but I'll tell you what, she's been showing up the last few
0: weeks. I know. Don't well,
1: give me that you two.
0: The real test bread is gonna come in June, July, August, September, October.
1: When no, you're podcasting I, at midnight, I will not be there.
0: No, we don't do that anymore. We changed oh, the, we changed that.
1: It's not May, June, or
0: July. I mean, all right, I'll give you that. <laughs> that, that that is fair. Once
1: Once fishing season starts, you know, the sun does not go down till 10 o'clock up by us. So it gets a little bit tougher. There's no doubt about that.
0: I know. I think, I don't remember if I talked about it on this podcast or a different podcast, or maybe I didn't. Maybe I just talked about it in general. I'm not sure how I did everything I did last summer between the wiring, the bait, company the filming youtube the editing youtube the filming podcast the editing the podcast and doing all that stuff because right now i'm barely even doing youtube stuff and i have it all filmed i'm not nearly busy as busy wiring stuff as i was during the summer and i still feel like i can't catch up
1: well that's the one good thing about you jeff you're a worker and you always seem to get things done i've
0: I've got confidence in you put it that way that's good because at least one of us does i'm not sure how it's going to happen but It'll it'll happen. I just don't know how it gets done. So tonight, let's talk a little bit about the Milwaukee Muskie Expo before we get rolling into talking to Mike about West Virginia. Let's talk about Milwaukee. Coming up in a few days, a few days from when we, when we release this podcast. Technically, it's going to be more like a little over a week from now. Anyways, the Milwaukee Muskie Expo is the 14th, 15th, and 16th of February at Washington County Fair Park in West Bend, Brad and Kerry, I think we got a couple seminars for some pro staffers for you. You got Ryan McMahon at 6 o'clock on Friday night. You got Steve Jensen, who's going to hit up both Muskie Mayhem and TRO Saturday at 4 o'clock. And then you got Mike Keys, who's, I don't know if you'd call him a pro staffer, but since you and I both pay him money, I'm assuming he's going to talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem and TRO. On a, the website said 11.30 on Sunday. When I thought I'd seen somewhere it was 1.30 on Sunday, but... The 11.30 time slot seems to make a lot more sense, seeing as though the place closes at 2 on Sunday. So, And then another TRO pro staffer, Jeff Vandermortel, is going to be on at 10 on Saturday. Those are kind of the highlights of some of the speakers. I think Spencer Berman speaks for on behalf of you guys also. I just don't know what time he is. I must have scrolled past him.
1: Yeah, I, I do know that he's doing a seminar there as well, and
0: he's been on our pro staff for quite a few
1: years. Definitely somebody to go listen to. He uh, he was on our Backlash podcast, what, two weeks ago?
0: Yes, he was. Yeah. Another one of our mutual friends, John Betty. Looks like he's in our Muskie Road Rules workshop on Friday at 3 o'clock. And then Kevin Pischke, who we've also had on talking about Green Bay muskies, he is at Saturday at 11.30 on one of the Muskie Road Rules workshops as well. So lots of good stuff for people in the Milwaukee Illinois, or the, not necessarily Milwaukee, the Wisconsin, Illinois area, upper Illinois for sure to come on out and check out some good speakers. And the only speaker I don't see on the list though, and they must've missed it was Carrie Hoppy. I don't see that on here anywhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: and you never will, Jack Woodman. <laughs>
0: if, I, <laughs> if I keep pushing the envelope, I'm, you know, I'm going to try. At least I'm going to, you know, try you can, to you make
1: can try all you want
0: brad help me out here
1: you know i i put her in a headlock i held her down i told her you gotta speak but she just won't do it
0: Mm, that's a
1: bummer she's a stubborn old bird
0: (laughs) No, no doubt about that so brad and carrie you got anything to talk about what's going to be on what's going on in the booth in milwaukee
1: Well, like always, we're going to be tying customs to anybody's specs that they would like to see. You know, that's one of the neat things about the show is that you can come up and order a custom right from us. We'll tie it right there in front of you, assemble it, and hand it off to you. Um, That's one cool part. But, you know, with the addition to Rabbit Squirrel, as we purchased that last spring and made it available to the customers mid-summer, We kind of did a little bit of a a swing on the rabid squirrel, and we came out with the rabid girl, which is only available at the shows as well as on our website, but uh, it's a really cool product. We fished it quite a bit this last year, got quite a few fish on it. It made the cover of Musky Hunter magazine that just came out this month, so we're pretty proud of that, and I think, you know, it's random colors, it's not really any set colors, but There's tons of them. Everybody can check them out. We hope to sell a bunch of them.
0: That sounds awesome. Sounds like you got a lot more cool stuff going on in your booth than I do in mine, I guess, right?
1: I don't know about that, Jeff. You know, you guys always show up with an impressive, impressive booth. And every year I I look and I just go, wow. You know, Team Rhino has really kind of set the bar in some ways. You guys are incredible with the layout as well as what you can actually provide. And the neat thing about team Rhino is tons and tons of custom baits. That's what I would uh, definitely consider when I walk in your booth.
0: Oh, I think you're just being too nice.
1: I don't know about that, Jeff. You you've done a great job.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate that for anybody that's looking to find out what We have there, I do have some last minute stuff that could potentially show up, but I don't want to talk about it yet exactly because I just don't, I don't know that it's actually going to arrive. Some, sometimes, you know, that goes. So there's been a couple baits on our website that have been pretty hot, smaller bait maker, and I'll just leave it at that for now. So if you want to know about that stuff, if it's going to be in our booth, check out our Facebook page on Thursday or Friday, or check out our Instagram On Thursday or Friday and if I know it's gonna be there we'll definitely be letting people know about any last-minute things that show up in the booth other than that we have a pile of custom stuff I am still working through some of the website stuff I don't think that all of my new musky mayhem colors are up yet I know in the 10 nines they are but I know we have all of all new colors not all new colors but we have a bunch of new colors six seven eight of them I think for musky mayhem tackle Those are, yep, I believe that you're right. But right now the 10 nines are up on the website. Hopefully by the time you hear this, I'll be a little bit further along, but it's always hard to say with short time, you know, with just a week to go before the show, a lot of that time is spent with show prep. It's not so much spent on the website. Hopefully I'll have time to do that, but we'll see if not 10 nines are on the website. The rest of the stuff's in the booth. We got a bunch of new stuff from Drifter Tackle, a bunch of new colors. They sold super well online already. I mean, seeing it's only early February, they've been going well online and we have a bunch of that stuff in the booth too. So if you guys want, stop on out to West Bend. We call it the Milwaukee show. It's 14th, 15th and 16th of February, just a couple days away from when you're hearing this podcast. Stop on out. We obviously will appreciate it. So, Brad Carrier, I I got to tell you, I'm super excited to talk to Mike. You know why? Because I'm not even going to give you a chance to guess cuz I'm that excited about it. Anytime we have a guy that's talking rivers, you know what he's going to talk about, right? Now I'll give you a chance to guess. guess.
1: <laughs> I, I've got the guess pretty much buttoned up here. What it's do you... about a, a jet boat.
0: There you mm-hmm. go. You Ultimately,
1: know... <laughs> Jeff, you, you've drug your feet for a year now. I'm waiting for that jet boat to to be one of the purchase points here.
0: We're We're going to try to pull it together. I just don't know when yet. I still got a couple things I need to work out, mostly Melissa. But... <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I'm fortunate enough, you know, here a couple weeks ago I pulled home a a new 621, so I've got a wife that says no, 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 and then she's like, how much is it? Okay, let's go get it done. (laughs) He's neglecting to tell you that he did sell the 620 that he had, so... So it was just kind of like a... But he wasted no time. I don't think that 620 was gone for 24 hours before the 21 was back in the garage.
0: I mean, I think it's just silly that you'd even sell a boat to get another boat. You, It's about continually adding to the fleet. It's never about subtraction with boats. I don't understand what the problem is.
1: We don't have enough housing for them
0: all. Well, you're going to have to build more housing. I mean, it's as simple as that.
1: Negative, Ghost Rider.
0: Someday. Someday we're going to get you to do a seminar. Someday we're going to add a couple additional boats to your fleet. I mean,
1: someday, I, today, I'm Melissa and I are going to have to build a warehouse so that we can house both Brad and Jeff's boat collection. Is that what you're saying?
0: I mean, it seems realistic. I don't. I, I'm not going to argue with you. It seems good.
1: I'll talk to Mel about that and see what she has to say.
0: Well, you'll see her you at know? the show. Yeah. The interesting part to this
1: whole conversation is that. I don't have a single boat sitting outside in the snow right now. So I don't know what she's talking about. And there's tons of more shed space.
0: I think we can Pardon? just wheel her into the Musky Mayhem shop. You guys, let's build bucktails in it. Dual purpose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nope, I won't go through the double doors.
0: You always have to rain on my parade. Always.
1: You just built a brand new shop. I mean, there should have been room in yours for a jet boat.
0: No way. I spent it all on musky baits. <laughs> the TRO inventory exploded over the last year in fact well when we first put the shop up Melissa said are you sure this thing's big enough I'm like yeah it's good for a while well uh it's <laughs> it's not so good anymore I mean there's still room in the shop we got some room for expansion but things are uh things are getting a little more tight around there it's we're gonna have to start rearranging it's those are the famous last words I told her at some point it's you just have to say this is big enough and it has to be okay because i could build an infinitely large shop in in a sense and probably still fill it up eventually so we had to draw a line somewhere
1: i don't care what you're building if you're building a house with a garage you're building a shop or a shed they're never big enough right i mean over a period of years
0: you're gonna outgrow it and it's just the way it is yep without a doubt so before we get to mike i wanted to I don't even think I told you guys this. So I'm uh Brad and Carrie and I had kicked around the idea of because we're getting closer to springtime, we thought about talking to a couple of boat dealers or guys that rig boats or boat, you know, people that would do it through a dealership or whatever to try to get them on and give you some insight as to what to look for with certain boats and you know, certain ways you're gonna fish and different boat options. And so on top of Brad and I putting out bonus podcasts, we're going to probably put out a bonus podcast with a couple of boat manufacturers or not necessarily boat manufacturers, but boat dealers. So we can kind of talk about that with guys that are, you know, looking to change things up, just different options, throw different stuff at you guys. So I don't even think I told Brad and Carrie that, but I got one that I think is on the line that will do it. I mean, I know for a fact they sell jet boats. So we're for sure having a conversation about what to look for in a jet boat because I got to know what to look for in a jet boat. So it'll be dual purpose.
1: Well, I think that's a great idea, Jeff. You know, it's boat show season and people are out there. They're all about it right now. You know, everybody's thinking spring. They're thinking about what they want to run for this next year. There's a ton of boats on Wally Central and different places for sale guys are really really thinking about it and let's talk about some of these different boating options and then on top of it let's let's dig in a little bit deeper and talk about rigging options on top of it
0: i don't know if we can let the cat out of the bag but speaking of rigging options i don't want to delay this on this intro too long but didn't you guys shoot a video recently that's going to be up on youtube for rigging some transducers for side imaging
1: Yeah, we did. one of the neat things is Matt Seifert was up here a couple weekends ago, and I've got my new boat in here. And basically what we did is we did a whole video that's at the editors right now, purely on the mount of the SI Humminbird transducer. And with that being said, I mean, I don't care if you're running Lorance or Garmin or whatever, it's the same deal. So, you know, we're mounting a Humminbird SI transducer. And it can be used for any of the other transducers that are out on the market as well, brand name. So definitely something that uh, when we when we get it out and it's edited, it's on YouTube, guys will be able to go to and reference.
0: Sounds great. So got a few exciting things to look forward to on the podcast. As always, we're trying to keep it fresh. We're trying to get you guys to learn a couple things about fishing in general, musky fishing. Except for that last podcast, with, we talked too much about bluegills, but we won't talk about that. I'm almost having nightmares about that one still. I guess with that being said, let's call up Mike Wolfel, talk some West Virginia muskie fishing. Sounds like a
1: plan, Jeff. Let's get it done.
0: Our guest tonight is Mike Wolfel. He's a uh, muskie angler from down in West Virginia. Mike, sounds like you've been able to get out fishing lately. How are you doing today?
2: Oh, doing great. It's a little little wet outside. We've had some rain pretty much all day. So it's kept me off the uh, the river, but we were out yesterday, so it's nice to be able to to get out.
0: Yeah, I think we're kind of all a little bit jealous of that up here in the north. Let's see here. What have we got before the season opens? Five months, roughly? Four months? Like four months. So, maybe it's not so it was bad. like
1: It was like seven below here this morning. It's like two degrees here right now.
0: Didn't Mike nice. say it was like 64 <laughs> yesterday by, yeah. by, by him? Yeah,
1: 67 I believe he said.
2: <laughs> it, <laughs> it was, yeah. They called for seven. It didn't quite get there because of the cloud cover. <laughs> oh, bummer. But if it's if it's any consolation, the fish were not moving or biting or anything. So you caught the same amount of muskies that I did yesterday. So it's all a wash.
1: But the difference is, you got to try. We didn't. That is ha- true. We didn't. There's no way. Brad got to like <laughs> polish his bow in the garage.
0: <laughs> I tried to uh, get
2: Jeff to come down here last
0: year. I know, but the problem with we we've kind of talked about that, Brad and Carrie and I. I'd love to get down there. But the problem is, is that the bite you told, we said, isn't that great in March. And that's when we typically have time to come down and go fishing. Usually we're so busy with the expo stuff, you know, from January until the last one in, in March that it's really hard to get away. But I would love to, I mean, how is April down there? Is it pretty decent?
2: That's kind of the the range that's unfortunate for us is March to April and you never can tell which that's our bad season. Uh, really the only bad season we have because that's when they're either staging for the pre-spawn or they're actually doing their thing. So really we kind of take a break from first part of March to about mid-April about six weeks in there. It's basically you know we're in the same climate as Cave Run. I mean I where I live is one hour from Cave Run and one hour from the rivers and the mountains. So Everything Tony and Greg and those guys will tell you, same thing for me.
1: That's pretty interesting. I have been down the Cape Run a few times. I really, truly like that area. I mean, it's beautiful. One of the things that I would say is, you guys have some of the most beautiful country as far as muskie fishing goes that I've ever been in. Oh, it
2: really is. And and I've traveled a little bit up north and just around. And when you come home here, it's, again, I'm a little bit spoiled with the season length. And That doesn't always translate to great fishing, but at least you have the opportunity. Just like yesterday, you know, we went out, we fished hard. I think we fished about seven hours, two different bodies of water. So we were trying to get a little bit of everything, all different water columns, all different presentations. And just like you guys know, I mean, for our patterns in the winter are kind of like early fall up north. You got about a 30 minute window where you can probably catch two or three fish. But if you don't hit it right or you're not in the right spot, you might not see a fish all day. So it's kind of one of those deals It's give and take, but it is beautiful. Like you said, Brad, it's it's a great place to fish.
1: You know, one of the other things that I, I, why don't you tell the listeners kind of what your true set times are for the season and what your, your perfect timing is for fishing down in that area. Because one of the things that you guys have to deal with, maybe not so much you in West Virginia, but. I know on cave, one of the things that becomes an issue is warm water temps. So you might not be able to fish all summer where we're not fishing all winter, put it that way. You know, so something to consider and think about.
2: Yeah, for sure. So the way it works is, and I'll just give you a little background. I started fishing cave Run back in 2004. And of course, I, I live, like I said, a little bit over an hour away like anybody else get into it, I had no clue really where to go. I mean, I knew the lake, you know, where it was and how, you know, how to get to the spots, but how do you present? So I hired Tony and he put me with Scott Salci. You know, you guys know Scott, he's the man. So he taught me the spots. I fished with Tony a few times and then I just basically started hanging out with him and then would go down there on the weekends and fish with him. Then I started fishing some of the PMTT stuff, bought a ranger, did all the stuff everybody else does What I found out later, though, is that they're a lot easier to catch in the rivers. (laughs) So where I live is kind of centrally located. You've got the eastern Kentucky mountains there. But also, if you go about another thousand feet in elevation into the mountains of West Virginia slash the border of Virginia, there's a lot of rivers that are fast flowing with a high gradient. So they're coming out of the mountains really fast. Therefore, the fish have to feed more. And what that means is, They're eating more often. You're seeing more fish. They're more active because they have to keep feeding all year. So like you said, though, in the summertime, we do slow it down. You know, we can get, if you get a nice storm, let's say in July, you're still going to have water temperatures in the 75 range. And that's, that's fine. If you're up as high as we are in the mountains, you know, your fish aren't, if you know what you're doing, going to be fine now of course if you're at 80 degrees or something like that you're not going to fish for them but so basically the way i would put it is our season is a little bit pushed back in the mountains of virginia and west virginia where i normally fish in the rivers is a little bit you know at at cave run they cut it off first of june sometimes mid-may as you guys know from coming down it all depends on the you know the water temperatures but it extends our season a little bit but of course july to august
1: it's pretty much done well, I'm curious, Mike, when, like, say on cave, when does the water temp kind of go back down to that 75? You know, in the fall, when, when do you start seeing it taper back?
2: Generally, it's those really cool evenings or early mornings in August, which you can even catch those on cave. But mid-August, honestly, unless you're getting, you know, just depends. it's been really hot the last few years. But in some of the years before, you can get a front that's like a 10-day front that'll cool the water temperature seven or eight degrees within you know just a couple of days and then of course just like anywhere else that fires the fish up you know their metabolism has been different the bait fish aren't moving and all of a sudden you know that water cools down everything comes alive just like it would pretty much anywhere you can get that i guess probably up your all's way i mean i don't really know how it works up there but that, down here all you have to take is that three or four or five degree you know change in temperature and they're going to go you know
1: I enough. would agree with that completely. It's it's one of my favorite times of the year. You know, you get the first cold front, that's when things really start turning on. So I would agree with that completely, Mike. No different. I mean, muskie's a muskie, right? <laughs> Unfortunately,
2: it'd be a lot easier if they were, you know, like bass. We could <laughs> catch them all year and
1: not hurt them. Very true.
0: Sounds like their season, as far as them in West Virginia, though, Brad, isn't a whole lot different than what we're dealing with. You know, he was talking you know, late August and, you know, that can be when it really starts to fire up for us too. It can kind of get off those dog days of summer and into, into late August, early September. And that's when things can really fire up by us too. So it's really not a whole lot different that way.
1: I would agree with that, Jeff. And, you know, one of the neat things about where he's at with that high country down there and all that water that's coming out of the high hills, that probably changes the game a little bit for him as well. We'll let Mike tell us about that. What kind of elevation are you talking
2: uh, we're talking like 2,500 feet, something like that. I mean, I don't have you know a topo in front of me, but you
0: right, know right. you can
2: always tell the places I'm fishing by the gradient of the stream. Meaning, there is so much current, there is so much flow, right. which does two things. Obviously, it's oxygen is the main thing, and that's what drives some of the fish we have. Like for instance, one of the places we fish, you guys have probably heard about it. If you haven't, well, I'm sure you have. The James River. You guys have probably seen some of this stuff online or heard about it the james and the new river are the two places mainly that i fish and those places if you look at them on a topo map it's almost like a waterfall i mean when you look at them over like an 80 mile stretch they're just coming down the mountain where therefore there's tons of oxygen so when you're talking about in the summer even though you may have warm water temperatures like even 75 to 77 maybe even 78 at night when it when that sun goes down what we generally do even if it's you know it's somewhat warm we will fish these feeder creeks that come in that are about 68 degrees and that's where you can take advantage of summer fishing a lot of people say oh you can't fish these places in the summer well those are guys that are fishing reservoir where the fish are down you know they're down 15 feet in that stratosphere you know they're down at that level that the oxygen isn't the same as at the surface you know well, that doesn't happen in the rivers. And I've talked to multiple biologists, you know, because I don't want to kill the fish either. I'm not trying to go out there, you know, and catch fish to kill them. I mean, nobody's going to do that. So that's kind of the common misconception, too. Now, of course, if you've got 83 degree water or even 80 degree water, you're not going to fish. But if you see water that's 76, 77 degrees, which generally is kind of on that range of uh, iffy, give it till about 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And that water will drop about four degrees. And it's because of the oxygen and because of the elevation of, you know, the river where you are, you know, topographically. So, and these feeder creeks coming in, and let me tell you, they stack. They're there. We've caught multiple. We've had multiple five, six fish nights in these
1: feeder creeks that are like a foot deep. When you're fishing that kind of spot, are you concentrating more on the deeper water or that shallow water? What are you actually looking for there, Mike?
2: Well, I wrote a little bit about this in the Musky Hunter magazine. I wrote for Greg and Tony recently. Basically, what I'm looking for is deep water adjacent to super shallow water. Because what I've noticed over the years, I'll give you a quick, for instance, I was fishing this one spot that's about 12 feet deep. For the rivers where we're fishing, that's pretty deep. You know, we're, that's about max depth. You will get some places that are 12 to 18 feet, but generally 12 is about as deep as they get. And there was an angler that was catfishing on the other side of the river. And he was on the spot I normally fish. And come to find out, I had to come across the river just to avoid him, of course, give him his space. So I just thought, well, I'll fish this other bank, which I never fished, which more was more mid-river. Just to give you some scale, where I'm fishing is you can throw your lure almost all the way across the river. So I mean, as far as you can throw, you know, so it's pretty much it's, you know, I would call a medium-sized river. I mean, if you throw a bomb cast. One side or the other, you're maybe 20, 30 feet short. So anyway, pretty pretty swift current. Got to have a good trolling motor. But we caught a fish on the first pass. So I marked it on the sonar, put the fish back, got the pictures, went back up. We caught four fish in an hour on the one way point. That was before dark. As soon as it hit dark, it quit. We drift down to this well-known spot, well, for me and my guys, of just a creek mouth that is adjacent to deep water and it's a foot deep in the creek but maybe 10 yards down or 15 yards down river it's a deep pocket so what happens is as soon as it gets dark and it cools down a little bit they go up in that creek and get active that's kind of what I concentrate on is try to find your deep water but then of course stay close to your shallow because as soon as that just that right time they'll come in there and I've seen them before I've seen four fish at one time coming in in pairs two on each side of the creek coming in so it's kind of one of those deals just like they do in some places up north they're pack hunters here too you know and that's kind of how we found it, is if you find them stay with them everybody wants to run and gun stay with them
0: I would say that's one thing that probably a new angler would have a problem with is they typically don't understand that there can be multiple fish using those one spot I had an, I had an instance you know it was a river it was a river that we were fishing early in my muskie career and we made that same mistake so we went up you know, by the, uh, we went in a spot in this river and we got, I think it was like one fish right away. And then we fished a little while longer and I think we lost one other one. So then we went and, you know, moved spots for, I don't know, the better part of the day, six hours probably. And we didn't do anything. We didn't move anything. And then we went back and we ended up, you know, we went back to that very first spot that we went to. And I think we banged out like three or four more fish. I think we caught five or six total that day. And who knows what would happen had we stuck around all day long? Because we left, we we only fished that spot for maybe two hours, and that's you know we ended up getting a pile of fish out of it. And I think that's one thing that new anglers maybe don't understand is that if there's a good spot, multiple fish can be using it.
2: Oh yeah, I totally agree. It's something that, like you said, it's trial and error. You know, just going back to you know I fished Cave Run, which was you know just like any other reservoir lake, and it's. When I was trying to figure that out, it's it's crazy how much different of a fishery when you're fishing a lake or a reservoir like that compared to what the rivers are. So you kind of have to forget what you're doing in the lakes to, re, you know, to start over in the rivers because they're just a different, total different animal when they're in the river. Current is their whole entire life there. It brings them their food. It dictates where they're going to be, all the holding spots. Everything has to do with current. And so... What you're trying to do is maximize, like you said, there's these fish aren't all you know gonna be spread out. If there's a good spot, there's a couple fish on it. Now there might be if there's a super big fish, maybe there's only that one fish. But if you got like a 40 or a 42, guarantee you there's another 40 or 42 or a
1: 38 with them. I would agree with that, Mike. You know, my experience on any kind of river, whether it be a shallow river like you're talking, or even the deeper rivers, if you can find maybe an eddy or maybe you find just a deeper water on a really shallow river that's where the muskies are going to be and and it's amazing to me because i can't tell you how many times like you you get in one of those holes and that hole might might be only like 20 30 feet in diameter but there might be three to four muskies in there boom 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 you can catch all three or four of them you move to the next hole and now you're going to catch a couple more and then the next hole might not have anything in it but You know, the spot on the spot, like you're talking, can produce a bunch of fish. And it might be numerous numbers versus just one or two, you know. So that's one thing that you really got to consider. I like that, that you are seeing that same trend because we see it up here in the Northland, too, if you get out on the rivers.
2: For sure. And that, you know, we catch a lot of fish that are in the 38 to 40 inch range. I mean, and that's great. That's a trophy. We love that. But when you're trying to, you know, down here in the river, they just can't grow to 50. I've caught 150 in that particular river. I'm talking about the new river and I've fished it for like 12 years. And I just think a lot of it is that current, they grow fast and then they kind of just become fat. (laughs) And you know, it's kind of like your big buck. I mean, at least down here, not every male deer is going to become a 12 point or a 14 point or 18 point, right? Some of them are just going to be six points. That's kind of like the muskies here. I mean, I'm sure that's that way everywhere, but that's where we're trying to target these areas. Going back to my point as far as these spots I'm telling about are the ones where the 49s, the 48s, the 47s which is our Giants here. You know, those are the ones that you know, are your replicas, your big fish. Those are the spots we're talking about. Those spot on the spot like you said, Brad. You got to find that sp- specific place and I didn't find out till later that there's a spring that comes in where those fish were sitting. And the only reason I knew that was there were some guys that were scuba diving and they ended up telling me that there was a, or they were snorkeling, they would dive down. There was a spring coming in. So there's these little things that you have to find and it's all about spending the time. I mean, that's the thing now. Everybody wants information. Oh, tell me where, tell me what, go find it. Spend the time. That's what we did. You know, I mean,
1: that's how it works. Hands down about that, Mike, you're right. You know, everybody wants everything handed to them in, in some sense, but you know, the neat thing about musky anglers is most of them are willing to put in the time and actually go after it. You know, that's one thing I can say about musky anglers. I'm curious, you know, how are you pursuing these fish on this river? Are you in a John boat? Are you doing it from shore? How are you fishing them, Mike? So that's uh, the way we
2: started out. I started fishing again. Like I said before, I started cave run, realized they were easier to catch in the river. So, When we were fishing that, this was like back in 2008, that I went from fishing the lakes all the time. And Cape Run, just like in Euro's places, can be so tough. You can go four or five days in a row, and you fish all the good spots, all the good baits, all the patterns, and you don't even see fish. So once I started doing these floats in these little 12-foot, you guys remember those uh, Coleman Crawdad John boats? Plastic, you know, these little things fit in the back of your truck. Yep. So we do these three, four-mile, three or four-mile floats and so that's where we started but now it's all jet boats and that's kind of one of those deals you were talking about people do want to put in the time and that's kind of where it started with me as i realized after fishing cave run all those years you got to put in the time people can tell you where to go or what to do but you got to figure it out for yourself and so when i was fishing those rivers floating in the john boats i was seeing how the rivers laid out so when i got a jet in 2011, which to my knowledge, in some of those rivers, I was the first musky guy that had a jet. I knew how to run them because of floating the John boat or being in a raft. So it kind of opened up everything. So since
0: 2011,
2: I've been running strictly jet boats.
0: You want to talk yeah. a little bit about that jet boat? Yeah, for
2: sure. So I'll just give you the quick synopsis of how we started. I, it's funny. It's kind of like being going from a kid to an adult. I started with a 16 foot tiller. And I had to unlock because I hit every rock in the river because I didn't know where to go. (laughs) You put it on this river and you run up river and there's rapids everywhere. And so you, you think you know where you're going or whatever. So you're hitting rocks. So anyway, after I figured all that out and started guiding, I knew that the 16 foot with the 40 horse or 40, 30 jet, excuse me. So it was actually a 30. It couldn't fit me and two other guys, you know, on a guide trip. So I went to a 16, 16 foot with a 60, 40. And that did fine. And then recently, the last couple of years, I've gone to a G3 18 foot with a one fifteen eighty. decided to take the Cadillac out on the river. It's so much fun. You're going 40 miles an hour up and down the river. And it's basically like you're in the ranger. I mean, you got all the room you need. Uh, It's a blast, man. I mean, even when you're not catching fish, you're having fun on the river because you're out there riding around, you know, like you're uh, running an obstacle course going around all the, you know, the rocks and the shelves and the you know, sand flats and stuff. It's a blast.
0: See what we're missing out on, I've, Carrie?
1: I was just thinking, I wonder if Mel actually listens to this podcast. Jeff might be in trouble.
0: Nope, she doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've listened,
1: Mike, for the last, I don't know how many months it's been. But You know, this is something that Jeff is really considering. He definitely wants a jet boat. Well, if you come down here, Jeff, then you're definitely going to buy one. You know how many
2: people <laughs> I've taken out? and then they're like i have to get one just because even if i go ride around it's a blast it's unbelievable how much fun it is
0: i'm just afraid it's going to be like your experience with the 16 foot tiller where you're hitting everything i'm a little worried that's about that that's what you got
2: to do so go buy a cheap one first and then you learn your river you don't care make sure you know a good mechanic or somebody who can do a tig weld on aluminum and you're good to go i bet <laughs> you i took my intake pro or my my intake to this one guy 7 times every time i take it in there it was mutilated and I'm like, dude, come on. I got to fish next weekend. And he hooked me up. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I'd come back from a week at the camp and he'd be like, man, what are you doing? I'm like, trying to catch muskies. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So how, I got a funny far... story about, can I say one thing? I'm oh, looking that a mount right sure. now. Okay. So let me just take you back to just something about your all's company, uh, Brad and Carrie. My first big fish ever that kind of got me into this crazy addiction was on one of your baits i'd fished with tony and greg and those guys on a couple guide trips and then they're like all right here's where we're going to fish whatever so i ended up getting some of your all's baits it's funny i just found a t-shirt i bought from you guys back in 2011 or no no wait 2008 i'm sorry and it was a showgirl t-shirt had the girl you know your logo On the back said, let the mayhem begin. It's like my favorite shirt ever. So anyway, I'm rocking the shirt. (laughs) I'm at Cave Run throwing a double 10, blue and silver. And I got a 47 on the figure eight, got it in the bag. And it was like, I mean, you guys know the feeling. Your first big fish. And it was just, I mean, that's that's the reason why I'm still insane about it. Now I've caught all these fish and it's a first figure eight fish that eats at your feet. That's a big fish. I mean, you know, so hats off to you guys having a great product. How long have you guys had this thing going?
1: 15 years this year. Yeah, it's 15 true years, you know, when we formulated the company. We played, ago, yeah. yeah, we played a couple years before that. So we've uh, we've been playing with it probably for 17 years now, maybe 18 even. But, you know, the, the true musky mayhem tackle that everybody knows is 15 years old this year. Pretty wild to think about.
2: Well, congrats, man. I mean, I've heard a couple of your all's podcasts and somebody talking about making a living in the industry, and we all have to do other stuff. And I was telling Jeff and you guys on the, you know, pre show that I guided and, uh, and I love to guide, but it's hard to make a living doing that. So I've worked in the court system for almost 17 years now as a judge, and I've tried several times to make a living at muskie fishing and <laughs> it doesn't pay the bills, you know? I mean, it's great and I can get clients and all that, but, hats off to the people out there in the industry that are listening or like Jeff, I know you have a side business too, but TRO, I mean, that's awesome what you guys are doing.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. It's i mean, honestly, you know, not to sidetrack too much under the TRO thing, but it was, I didn't really know where it was going to go when we first started. And I mean, I have a pretty good glimpse now of where it's going and future still looks bright. So that's good. I still don't know that I'm quite ready to dive all the way in like Brad and Carrie and, you know, say, all right, sink or swim, this is how we pay the bills. I'm not so sure that I'm ready to take off the life vest just yet. I, every day, every year, I should say, it gets a little closer. But, you know, I know I know of very few people that make a full-time living in the industry because it is that tough, as you alluded to. And so, I mean, it says a lot for Brad and Carrie to be doing it for 15 years. Like I said, I have a few guide friends that have been doing it. Steve Jensen, he's been making a living guiding for, I think, 20 years now. And that stuff, that's just not easy in this business. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to get in and think they're going to make it, you know, big and get rich, but it's, it's more of a labor of love in a lot of cases. I think I oh, would agree sure. with that
2: 100%. <laughs> yeah. I just got back, back in September being a couple of buddies of mine went up and fish with Fred Alexander. Now, those guys, I mean, he's doing it full time and some guys do, but look what all he has to do. He's fishing every species. 12 months a year, basically. I mean, he's fishing, ice fishing with all those. I think he has like 60 ice houses or whatever he said, something crazy. But then it's smallmouth, walleye, pike, musky. Uh, I mean, and it's year round, you know, whitefish in the winter. I mean, that's just, you have to dedicate your entire life to that. And you are going to miss things and you're going to miss out on opportunities probably to make more money doing a lot less work. You know, as you guys know, it's a lot of work to make baits. I make some baits in my garage and I'm never taking it to the next step. But I mean, because, man, that's a huge investment in my opinion. And you guys know of doing it yourselves. You're not shipping it to China. You're not shipping it to some guy to do it all for you. You're doing it yourself. And I mean, that's a ton of work. I mean, I'm, I bend wire like you guys do for my soft plastic baits. And my hands hurt after a couple hours of doing it, you know? So to do it full time or, you know, that's just hats off
1: to you guys. Well, I really appreciate that, Mike. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't quite understand is it's not easy in this industry. You know, like in our case, there's a ton of different people. Bucktails really are are pretty easy to copy. And I I give praise to everybody that's building their own. I mean, that's really cool. But uh, it's our livelihood, and we really take a lot of pride in it. And quality is important to us. And delivery is important to us, so you know I, I think that's the big difference. We we have chosen a certain road and a certain path, and we really are super prideful and proud of what we're doing, and we appreciate all of our customers out there that support us as well. Absolutely,
0: you know, Mike. Since we're going down the bait path, since you were talking about you know TRO and Muskie Mayhem and. And all that, why don't we talk a little bit about baits out in West Virginia? The one thing I've noticed in, you know, in shipping orders out to West Virginia, which we do quite a bit of it, because I'm assuming you guys must not have a ton of tackle shops available out there, uh, is the size of some of this stuff. There's really no, like in a lot of places, you know, Wisconsin's kind of more small baits and Illinois is kind of more of the same where you go to Minnesota and they want big baits, and if you go to St. Clair, they want big baits. The one thing I've noticed about West Virginia is just the variety of baits that they use. Is that something that you see on a day-to-day basis, or are you kind of dialed into a certain thing? But there is no limit. They will fish 5-inch baits or 4-inch baits all the way up to (laughs) pounders. The biggest thing is it's usually shallow-running baits, which I understand because you guys are typically you know, in – shallow rivers and in shallow lakes and stuff like that. But what is the story with the baits out in West Virginia? Cause like I said, there is, there is a range all over the place. The color spectrum is all over. There is no, there's no set rules for West Virginia.
2: So I would say the main thing of why at least my crew of guys, let's say my 15, 20 guys I'm close to how we kind of started it, you know, and I'm not saying we started muskie fishing here, we started catching the big ones and it was only because we were in the right spots, which as you guys know, the lure presentation is about a third in my opinion of actually getting the fish to bite. The rest of it is obviously, you know, you got to do everything else, all the other homework, but the lure here, when I'm talking about the, uh, the current we were talking about earlier, that big profile is why you're catching bigger fish here. And I I think that guys hear about, catching fish on big lures here and it's because those bigger fish are concentrating on these big you know 16 inch hog suckers instead of eating the smaller meals you know when you talk about the swift rivers they got a split second to make that decision on a bait because it, the, you know they're sitting on their spot off of a tree or off a boulder and that big bait is coming by you're trying to get the biggest fish to eat that bait. So I think that's mainly the reason why it's that, you know, all these guys talk about, well, what'd you get this fish on? What'd you get it on? I think it's just because of the shock value of the large lures. And, you know, the other thing too, is you make bait for fishermen, not fish, as you know. So when you, when somebody catches a fish on a big bait, everybody wants to buy them. So I think that plays a part of it too, is like, you know, it's that big profile can be really good at times. And like you said, though, that five-inch crane or five-inch whatever probably is a better bait. But there's guys that are out there hunting for that one big fish, that one big bite. So they think big fish, big bait.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that over there. Like I said, it just blows me away at the variety of stuff we send out there. And then, because uh, I'm assuming for the most part, you guys aren't doing a lot of trolling, I'm guessing. Is that correct?
2: Almost none. There's a few reservoirs like, call it mini cave Run. Stonewall Resort is a, a lake. And we have a couple tournaments every year. I actually had the figure eight tournament. Uh, my friend, Brandon Lilly, shout out to him. He's got the figure eight, uh, musky gear brand and does a couple tournaments every year, but there is some trolling at that lake because, and that kind of leads me to the other point, you know, the fish that we're catching, they're not feeding on shad or thread fin or small, you know, perch or this is all suckers. You know, that's what's in the rivers. I mean, there are some rock bass or, You know, there's no walleye really in the rivers. I mean, basically what they're feeding on is kind of these bigger suckers. So there's not really much trolling other than those lakes that do have some gizzard shad. So mainly, no, I mean, you know, and that's the thing. Those places aren't really good to fish. Like right now, they're muddy. You know, these reservoirs, it just, they kind of stack all the water up in there, you know, for flood control. And it stays pretty stained from like November to April so really most of them aren't very good to fish this time of year so our season is cut short in in the lakes your lakes are good from like May to let's say late June early July and then they're good like September to like October which is crazy to say because we live in the south but I mean that's really the only times I fish them and it's because You know, the, the, the rivers are, are much better that the time of year. So no, we're not really trolling hardly
0: at all. With the lakes. Do you guys ever see ice up on any of those things?
2: Very rarely. There's a couple of the mountain lakes that will freeze over for like a week or two, but nothing ever where it's like a hard freeze. You're just talking like a surface, surface freeze an inch, maybe max.
0: So, I mean, generally speaking, there's no, I mean, we may have covered it a little bit, but there's no close season for you guys, obviously. So aside, yeah. I mean, so almost every water is open, basically year round. Aside from there might be some tough fishing here and there, which you're going to find everywhere. But you guys literally can chase muskies year round on some body of water, pretty much.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, like I said, even if it gets high and muddy, we'll just go to a creek mouth that's a little bit different off color. Like right now, it's raining today. I'm going to go fishing probably Thursday. And I'm going to find a place that's got some muddy water, but a clear creek coming in. I'm just going to stand right there and pound it for about five hours and one week, hopefully.
0: So Brad, sounds like Musky Mayhem Tackle is going to be relocating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, there's
1: times when I wish we were in some place like that. But come middle, middle of summer, I'm pretty happy where I live.
0: <laughs> well, that minus seven degrees that you were talking about, or that Carrie was talking about earlier, that'd be a thing of the past.
1: This is true. Believe me, there's many, many days that Carrie and I both look at each other and say, why? Why are we living here?
2: Yeah, but you also guys have, what, 55s, 57s in your
1: lakes? There's some truth right? to that. I mean, and, and that's what keeps you here, right? I mean, honestly, this time of the year when we're really busy and we're putting out a lot of... uh the Initial orders for some of the box stores, and then as well, uh, just kind of doing the keep thing with the musky shops throughout the whole country. You know, we're so busy during the winter, we really kind of just work, 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 and then uh, all of a sudden, spring kind of pops up
2: around us. That's the thing here, we don't have that size. Like, you've got the potential in the places you all fish that you can get 55 or even a lot of fifties, you know, you got a good chance of catching a 50 here. I mean, that's like a unicorn. They barely exist. You, I mean, and so that's the thing. That's why, you know, for us, we want to come up North in the summer. Like I go to St. Clair once a year and I go to green Bay now every year. And talking about going up to with Doug Wagner to uh Lake of the woods, just because I would like to see a 55, you know, I mean, I would like to get that chance. It's just, that's the whole thing. When you've caught a ton of forties, you do want to go to a place where, you can get a chance at it at a fifty-five.
0: I was just gonna say it's funny because he comes all the way up from West Virginia to fish Green Bay. I live forty-five minutes from there, and I almost never fish it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I never fish Cave Run anymore, and I live an hour from there, and it's open year-round, so it's kind of the same deal.
0: Yeah, I can see that because I've thought about it. You know, same same kind of deal. Like, hmm, I should really travel south in this, in April and go fish Cave Run.
2: It's not that good. I, it's not that good. Then I don't think. I mean, if you want to go through rattle baits and jerk baits in muddy water and get One bite in three days, go for it. Now, Lance and Greg and Tony and Scott, those guys trolling, they kick butt, and I love it. I mean, they do a great job. They are dialed in, but it's not for me. You know, I like, you know, the visual thing of, you know, catching them at your feet or whatever. It's just, it's tough. I can see why guys do it, but that's why I've turned from the lakes to the rivers. It's just, it's part of, you know, that casting deal with the current. I mean, it's just a lot of fun.
1: So I got a question for you, Mike. You know, you're talking about running a jet boat. How far up river are you going, you know, to travel? And the other second part to the question would be, is this all natural or is this something that's been planted and stocked into those waters? Well, so one of the places I
2: fish, let's say, for instance, the New River, I have a camper that I leave there year round. And so when I come down to fish for three or four days or whatever, when I used to have clients and stuff, there's about an eight mile stretch of river. And so uh, that's kind of your day. That's about the max you're gonna do in a day is about eight miles. And uh, sometimes you won't even run all that. You'll just do like different sections. You'll fish two or three holes on one boat ramp, take out, go to another boat ramp. There's about 60 total miles of river that we fish on the Virginia side of the New River. So the New River actually flows north from North Carolina all the way up through Virginia into West Virginia. And so we fish it all the way from Virginia into West Virginia. And in certain sections, they're all controlled by reservoirs. So we will fish a 60-mile section. You know, that's one good section. And there's about a 20-mile section in West Virginia that's really good for fishing. The rest of it's all whitewater because of the the gradient. So people come from all over the world to do, I don't know if you ever heard of the New River Gorge, you know, whitewater rafting. People come all over to do. The muskie fishing is great above it and below it, but in that section, we obviously can't fish it. To answer the second part of your question, everything here is stocked. I mean, you can have some natural reproduction and there are some rivers that do support natural reproduction. The problem is you won't have the numbers. Like you, the new river has had a good stocking program in Virginia, uh, for instance, which is mainly the place we spend a lot of our time is across the border over in Virginia, and they have a 48-inch limit. So you've got to catch a fish over 48 to keep it. So that keeps a lot of your people from keeping the fish. I mean, I know you guys do that a lot up north. Well, that doesn't happen a lot in the south. I mean, if you look at Cave Run, they have, I think, a 36-inch limit or might even be 30. So anybody that catches one that's not like us, a diehard, they're going to keep them. So on the rivers over there, it's got to be 48, and you got to put it back. So that makes a huge difference, and that, that's the thing: is the DNR here has really done a good job. They've seen that it's important not only to the muskies, but to just the entire fishery. Your bass are going to be bigger. All your other stuffs going to be good if you keep a good
1: muskie population in there. It's always interesting to me. You know, you think about Cave Run, and you think about Green River. For the most part, it's not natural down there, correct? I mean, everything has been planted.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a natural strain. You know, there's a Kentucky strain or uh, there are some muskies that have obviously been there forever. But like Cape Run, I think they received like 3000 muskies. I could be wrong. Fingerlings a year. It's all I mean, they don't reproduce in there at all. So, yeah, they have to, to sustain the good fishery. They've got to keep stocking. Well, the New River and the James, because of those, you know, high gradient streams, they actually, the reproduction is good in there. I mean, they are reproducing. Problem is some of the streams in West Virginia, they've done a moratorium on and they quit stocking a few years ago. And we're seeing now kind of a decline because you're not catching as many fish. And I don't know if that's, nobody's done enough fishing over the last five years to know exactly, you know, the, the scientific terms of, is it really affecting it, that they're not stocking it anymore. But I can tell you from my guys that fish, it's, it's harder to catch them now. And it's because they, you know, they kind of slowed it down in like 2012. They kind of quit in some places. And therefore, you know, your fish now that would be, you know, 42 inches, there's not as many there because they didn't stock them those three, four, five, six years in a row. So there are some there, but it's, it's fewer and far in between, you know, because of they've slowed down on the stocking.
0: Is this stocking paid for by the state of West Virginia? Or do you guys have a bunch of musky clubs that chip in and gather money and, and do stocking that way.
2: It's all done through the state. And what happened was they decided to take a turn to walleye. So back in 2012, they decided to quit stocking muskies and in in the res er, in the rivers. They still stock the reservoirs, but they don't stock the rivers. And they've started stocking the walleye. So basically, what happened, what I think happened, what I've been told happened, is that the muskies. Obviously, you got to grow them to the advanced fingerling stage, and they don't want to pay. For the minnows, they don't want to pay to raise them for that extra time when you can just put. I mean, they're putting like millions of walleye in these different rivers, like fry every year, and they've kind of shifted their warm water species from musky to walleye. So I mean, I, that's the problem: is if you're a musky guy, they're taking away, you know, our stocking, and giving it to the walleye guys, which you know, and that's fine for them, but it hurts us.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that wouldn't be a spot. Do you guys have a muskie Zink club or, or are there muskie clubs in West Virginia? I know up here there's a bunch of them, obviously. I wonder if that would yeah, be I something don't... where you guys would be able to, you know, make an impact somehow and step in and try to pick up that gap a little bit. Because, ba- I mean, it sounds like you guys have a really good thing going. and hate to see something happen to it that was, you know, that you'd have to try to start a fishery again. You know, that's a difficult thing to do.
2: Absolutely. And there are a couple of muskie Zinks chapters. Problem is they work so closely with the DNR. The DNR kind of says to them, you know, we're we're not going to invest in you know in the muskies. Our two chapters they keep them happy because they're stocking a lot of fish in the reservoirs. So I mean there are stockings going on, but they selectively put them in just a couple of uh, rivers. And so like the places that I fish, they quit doing it. And you know, so that's something we've all talked about. But what we have to do is. Basically, it's the law program and our muskies, Inc. chapters. I don't know how you're how active you're all people are, but we're our people don't seem to be too active as far as wanting to raise money. Yeah, they'll go clean up the stream, but they're not going to raise a bunch of money to go, you know, stock fish is what is. the That's what I get from it. You know, I hope they do, but uh, that's what I get from it.
0: I would imagine, Brad, similar to around here, certain clubs are more active than others are when it comes to that kind of stuff. I know there's a few clubs that, you know, the figure eight club that's close to home here in the Shawano area, they do a good job. I help them out with some funds to help them with stocking or various programs. Same thing, I know the Wausau area, Muskie's Inc., they do the same thing. They're pretty active with the DNR and various things. Um... I think the Wausau area, they don't want to do as much with stocking. They do more with surveys and studies and boat ramp repair and stuff like that. And I know uh, the Milwaukee chapter of Muskies Inc., I generally kick them a small check or so to help them out, you know, with with stocking. Kind of like on a side note, typically we it's the Milwaukee Muskie Expo, and that's the one that's coming up shortly. I generally will donate, you know, a portion of my proceeds from that show to that club to help them out with stocking because I know for a fact they want to put it back in the water and that's obviously as a man you know as a somebody that's you know we're essentially making a living off the resource although I'm technically not making a living off it but in essence I am I want to try to get back to as many of those places as I can because it's important to me that there's more opportunities for more muskies and it seems like you know potentially if you guys had somebody to spearhead that you'd be a good op- option for you down there as well.
2: Definitely. I mean, and I think there's been some talks within, actually within some of the ranks in the DNR as far as on the legislative side that we're trying to increase the size limit catches because in in our state, you can keep them in any of these rivers. You know, we have one lake, I was telling you about Stonewall, it's a 52-inch limit, so it's a great start. But in the rivers, like there's one that's by my house that has natural musky in it. And it's the Ohio strain of muskie and it's a 30 inch limit. So that's what we're working on now is to try to preserve what we have. And then I think we can come in on the back end, you know, release the ones that we have now, because in some of the rivers, like I alluded to before, we do have an opportunity for them to reproduce and the reservoirs. They know they have to stock them to keep them up because they're not going to reproduce in the lakes. And that's what they're trying to do is draw people in. They know people are going to come muskie fish the lakes uh, so they know they really have to stock them, but in the rivers, they say, well, I think this is what they say that they're, they're doing well in those rivers because the populations are good. Angler catch, you know, rates are good. The problem is, is that how sustainable is that? So we're trying to maybe put some, li- some limits on, you know, you can only put, you know, keep them if they're 40 or 42 or something like that, start small and hope, hopefully get big later. That's, that's the plan.
0: Yep. That's a certainly a start for sure. No doubt. Brad, I, I kind of took all that on the, on the club side of it, but on, you know, in Minnesota, I'd imagine you guys have clubs that are doing a bunch of stocking and stuff like that too, right?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, Minnesota is very proactive. I mean, we have the Minnesota Muskie Alliance as well as all of the different Muskie Zinc chapters, and they're all proactive with trying to help stock more fish. It's one thing that uh, we definitely, I mean, maybe at some point here, we should invite one of those cruise into the podcast so that maybe we can talk about that further but you know i think i i always try to help all the clubs and we get approached by many many of them and we try to donate as much as we can to them try to help for that whole stocking program it's huge it's important you know but number one i think it's working with the DNR to try to help influence what that all really means
0: right absolutely
1: Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say about
2: that's unfortunate. What we've kind of gathered the main biologist who kind of says in our rivers, like what we need, you know, they go look at it from a scientific approach. What do you need in the rivers? He is a huge walleye angler. That's why they have all these walleye being stocked. And it's pretty widely known. I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to be a hater. I'm just saying he's a walleye guy. It's kind of all he cares about. And so he's diverted a lot of these funds to the walleye fishery and it's taken away from the muskies. And then, so I, you know, I'm not real sure how they've reacted other than I know that we've been with a few of their biologists at the lower level, low, like the local level, and he's kind of said to us, well, the state's not really interested in stocking muskies in the rivers. So we've got to kind of start over again. You know, and that's, I'm hoping that we can get some change. So I'll keep you guys posted on that.
0: Yeah, hopefully something gets worked out so that you guys don't have to, like I said, go through a complete rebuild on a, on a fishery that sounds like I mean, at, at current date, it sounds like the muskie fishing down in West Virginia is still very good. Would you agree?
2: Oh, yeah, it is. It's it's just like this. It's a long game. You know, I can tell you how good it is today, but when I'm not catching smaller fish, all the fish I'm catching are bigger adults, and I know that they're not the reproducing level. They might reproduce in there, but as you know, natural reproduction, you're not going to have the numbers to where you're going to go out and have a high catch rate, so Yes, it is good now, but I'm just worried about the future. Like you said, I'm worried about the next five or 10 years is what I'm concerned about.
0: Absolutely. And I've, you know, we saw it up in Green Bay. It was the same kind of deal that you guys had. It wasn't like they re the funds because they were going to, to walleyes. What happened with Green Bay is they developed VHS within the system. And so they used to have an infinite number of eggs that they could get and hatch. Well, once that went away, they're like, no, we can't bring those eggs back to the hatchery. We need to make sure that they're clean and they don't infect the hatchery. So for six, roughly five, six years out in Green Bay, you didn't see, there was, there was no, no stocking. And that thing is again, you know, much like West Virginia, it's mostly reliant on stocking because it's not naturally reproducing. Well, so then what happened? You saw there, you would almost never see a small fish out in Green Bay. Everything was 40 inches and above. That's great. Everybody likes to catch 40 inch muskies. Except for people that have an eye on the future of the fishery, if you don't have all your classes represented, you definitely need to be worried about what the future of that fishery is going to be like. Now they've gotten the stocking program re-going on Green Bay and the future looks bright again because from what I understand, there was many smaller muskies being caught this past season as well as the season before, but this year it was even more prevalent so I guess the future on Green Bay looks good. And like I said, I know I know what you guys are going through as far as that that goes, which is, you know, you want to get it stopped as quick as you can, kind of like halt the bleeding, and that way you can try to get those your classes in there before, like I said, before you're doing a complete overhaul on a system because, I mean, that, that can take some time.
1: Definitely. So, Mike, one last question that I really have that I'm quite interested in, and it's been a huge topic throughout our whole Backlash podcast, is electronics and i'm curious what kind of electronics you're using you know you have a jet boat you're fishing a ton of different rivers just curious what you're using for electronics in your boat
2: yeah well it's kind of uh changed obviously over the years and this newer stuff that hummingbirds come out with with the side scan or side imaging the down imaging has really kind of been a game changer because we're, we're finding a lot of fish that we didn't see on follows, Even in these rivers that are somewhat shallow, you'll see them on the side scan. You'll see them kind of slide in low and deep. And that's where recently we've been dropping jigs down. Uh, when we see a fish come in deep, you'll drop like a, a jig. And one of the things we've been using, too, is like a, like a chatterbait head with just a jig on the back. You bounce it off the bottom with a single hook. And those fish that are not active, they're sliding in low and deep eat that so and and we never would have seen those fish we never would have known they were there if it wasn't for the uh the down scan and the side scan so yeah it's been a lot of fun to see you know how these things are changing and i'll tell you another thing we really use it for is at night and like i was telling you guys earlier about night fishing uh you know you put on the night mode which you know doesn't bring too much uh, attention to the boat as far as you can still see when you're fishing Uh, it doesn't attract too many bugs but you're still able to keep contact with not only where you are in the river, but if you're on a specific spot, obviously, you've got your your lock on it with your GPS and you're staying in these spots, which kind of maximizes your time. You know, our windows are short at night. You know, you're only going to be out there for a couple of hours. You want to be on the spot, on the spot, like we talked about before. And electronics, honestly, have changed the game for us.
1: It's always incredible to hear, but, you know, the number one thing that always pops back up to side imaging, and you know, you think about it. You're you're talking about lakes up in the north country, or even in the south with reservoirs and what have you. Side imaging is a huge component to musky fishing and musky catches. And now you're telling me, you know, even on some of your shallower bodies of water, like the rivers that you're fishing, it's it's a huge component as well.
2: Yeah, it's cool. You can actually see them slide in. I was saying the other day, well, yesterday. We didn't have any follows to my knowledge all day. And my buddy brought in his bait and he kind of let it sit there and he brought it in and he brought it out. It was kind of a weak figure eight. Anyway, as soon as I looked down at the side scan, there was a fish that had just skated off. And I was like, You just had a follow. He's like, What? So he pitched back out. We never saw the fish, but that fish was definitely there. And again, it's one of those things. If he was paying a little bit more attention and done a good figure eight, maybe would have seen it. But you know, before the side scan
1: stuff, it never you know, never would have seen that fish. Never would have known it was there. Yeah, it's remarkable. It truly is. You know, and the other side to this whole thing is, you know, with Hummingbird coming out with 360 uh, Mega, I'm probably going to go down that path this summer. I don't know. I haven't really truly made the decision. Carrie's giving me the evil eye. Um, <laughs> it's more dollars, right? But, you know, the, the neat thing is it, it's huge. I mean, all of this stuff benefits us. The other one I've been really talking to Jason Quintano about is LiveScope, um, Panoptic LiveScope with Garmin. It's super intriguing as well. I, we're, you know, the sky's the limit at this point, right? I mean, all these electronics, they just keep changing, and they're basically making monkey fishing become a, a video game, if you will.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something else that's interesting. You're exactly right. Something I've noticed a lot of times in the spots where we fish, like I've said before, we got a ton of current. That can interfere with your actual sonar. But what it doesn't necessarily interfere with is your side imaging. So really, when I get into a spot that's like a, a real turbulent area, where there's some spots where there's like a tight window or a curve, those places, obviously, they're bringing bait right to the fish. But if you have your general, you know, just your your sonar on, it's too much interference. You can't really see where the actual pods of bait are, but If you use your side imaging, we've seen multiple fish the last two years since I put that Helix 12 on there. We've caught a bunch of fish just because we saw it on the side scan and then we looped back around two or three, four times and stayed right on
1: that fish. And she's eight. It's crazy. I mean, it's so cool. Yeah, it's remarkable to say the least. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, I really, truly appreciate your time coming on the show with us tonight. And I think, uh, you know, one of the neat things about this is you're in a whole different world down there. One that doesn't necessarily always get talked about being from West Virginia and being a musky fisherman, but we really appreciate your time, Mike. I'm glad you, you joined us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on and I've followed, you know, musky mayhem for all these years, like I talked about before. And as ba- as uh, Jeff will tell you, I bought a ton of baits from him over the years, so I uh, really appreciate you guys and hopefully I'll get my guide service back up and running here in the next couple of years and you guys come down anytime and my jet boat can hold three more
1: people so all three of you guys come on down. Well, I'll tell you what. I I appreciate that invite. Be careful what you ask for because we might just take you up on that.
0: Yeah, I could see that happening. How how good is hey, I, no, how I good is to... November for down there, Mike? How's November?
1: It's great. I love it.
2: November's awesome. That's when you need to come cuz the leaf drop happens like mid-October and it's unfishable, but after that it's money so november's great november to like the the later part of february is like the best season
0: for sure there you go brad i know that musky mayhem isn't super busy in november i know that i'm not crazy busy in november looks like we got a place to go
1: it might be late november because some of that deer hunting might get in the way
0: but you never know nonsense (laughs)
1: there's Hey, there's that sweet spot right after
2: uh, Thanksgiving and then before Christmas. Come on down. Like I said, we got cabins. I got two or three guys with jet boats, too. You know, we'll put you guys up. We'll be right on
1: the river. Uh, it'll
2: be a lot of fun. Just come on down anytime you want.
1: Truly appreciate that offer. And like Jeff just said, uh, it's a very good possibility that maybe we could tag team some sort of a video deal down there. Maybe, maybe we'll do a Team Rhino Outdoors versus a Musky Mayhem Tackle.
0: As long as I got Mike in my boat, <laughs> oh, come on, I like man. it.
1: <laughs> I will, we'll split days. I'll, I'll do a couple
2: days each with you. Sounds good.
0: That would be fun, Mike. You know, like Brad said, we really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and talk talk fishing with us. We love uh, we love guys that come on and talk fishing. This is a good conversation about uh, just you know general fishing stuff. Not not necessarily just West Virginia specific, especially if you're gonna attack rivers in wisconsin or minnesota or illinois whatever hopefully you can take something away from this podcast so mike i would imagine eventually we'd probably come knocking on your door again and see if you want to come back on and you know if, if you do that that would be great
2: yeah anytime just let me know i really appreciate you guys having me on
0: perfect well thanks mike you have a good night thanks to all the listeners again listening to backlash podcast we'll catch you all next week